0: Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Abide in Liberty. This is part two of a two-part series on discipline. Last week, I shared a story about... um, About my dog and how discipline has resulted in me being able to allow him more freedom as he roams um, our small homestead here. Um, I introduced the idea that a lack of discipline is what's destroying this country. And we talked about how discipline itself is an eternal principle, how God is the great, perfect disciplinarian, where He has a perfect balance of both positive incentives, if we do what's right, as well as negative incentives or punishments if we don't. Now, keeping that in mind, I want to transition now and spend the first portion of today talking about disciplining children. Now, I've spoken ad nauseum and including last week about the importance of God being at the center of our lives as adults so that we govern ourselves and can enjoy maximum freedom. Now, what I haven't talked a lot about or really anything about is our role as adults, as parents of children, in disciplining the rising generation, and particularly those of the rising generation that we can find within the walls of our own home, our own children. Now, this is not meant to be a comprehensive child discipline training session here, Um, but I am sharing principles that I've learned in my imperfect pursuit of becoming a better parent and also in becoming a better teacher and an administrator of schools. Many parents today are falling more and more victim to the idea that disciplining children is not a good thing right? That it somehow smothers their individuality, that there's creativity and goodness that we're going to somehow squash if we take an active role in shaping their behaviors and their attitudes. But I want to refer back to my dog example and just give you a little bit of reminder that the the discipline that we put in place and some of the negative as well as positive consequences for our dog has created space where he can safely be more himself. This high-energy dog that needs to run for you know, run six miles a day in order to be ha- healthy, happy, and well adjusted. This discipline has allowed him to become more of that than if he were out of control and completely unruly, and we had to coop him up and keep him locked up for his own safety. Um, like puppies and like dogs, kids don't come into our home knowing how to behave naturally. We talk about common sense a lot, but common sense has to be taught. It's not something that just babies come into the world with. Things that are common sense to you and I are only common sense because someone told us at some point, and it's been with us long enough, that uh, it's a part of who we are. And we, we get to the point where we just assume that we have always known this and that everybody knows this. And so with our children, it's important that we shape and prepare them through life, through thoughtfully constructed Incentives, both positive and negative ones. Now, discipline in general gets a bad rap. Whenever that word comes up, you know, a lot of times we think of um, spankings or dunce caps and kids standing in the corner or washing a kid's mouth out with soap, kind of the heavy handed punishment type things. But when you go back to the root of the word discipline, it comes from a Latin word that means instruction and training. So, discipline is a tool for instructing and training a child in the way that they should go so that when they're old, hopefully, they will not depart from it. Now, discipline that is um, only punishment tends to breed resentment, and you may get obedience, at least in the short term, but typically, it tends to be obedience out of fear of punishment or out of fear of you, the parent. And this type of discipline does not tend to stick. The behaviors that you get from a child who are being obedient for, in that kind of an atmosphere don't tend to be behaviors that stick when they leave your presence. So you'll often get um, you know, kids that are trying to sneak around and get away with things behind your back or when they leave your home that go completely off the deep end. Now, that's not to say that every child who goes off the deep end when they leave the nest um, were victims of this kind of more oppressive parenting style, but it is something, it, it is a trend that we tend to see with uh, discipline that only includes punishment. But then again, no discipline at all tends to smother learning and development. It tends to smother it under kind of a dull roar of chaos, uh, kind of similar to the experience I shared last week with the dog, right? because it was chaos and he was completely out of control and unruly. Um, you know, no discipline would have resulted in for his own safety and having to be kept locked up in his dog run all the time and not getting the energy and the mental stimulation that really he needs. And it's very similar with us as adults and even for our kids. So balance between these two extremes is absolutely key. We, punishment is appropriate at times, but also um, positive reinforcement is a very good thing as well. So let's talk about, you know, negative things. Now, this is where we get into very much braiding opinion based on my observation and what we've seen work in our own home or not work in our own home. And we're still learning this um, as we go ourselves. But negative consequences for big things uh, tends to be appropriate. So think safety. Um, You know, if your kid is running out into the street You know, you don't have a whole lot of time to explain and wait for them to grow up till they're five or six years old and can understand the concept of death and being smashed by a car for them to learn, hey, I shouldn't go run out into the street because something bad might happen. So some kind of a punishment or consequence that really gets their attention may be appropriate so that they don't try and do that. And that may be something that they don't do out of fear, but... By the time they're old enough to realize what's going on, they'll be they'll have a healthy understanding and want to avoid it, hopefully, on their own. Um, you know, in our home, we tend to focus on punishments around things, safety number one, but also things that can become major issues. So, lying, stealing, um, also you know, punishments that come as a result of not doing things that they should just do as part of being a family. So chores, for example. In our family, we're not going to reward you with a lollipop every time you make your bed because that's just part of what we do as in this family. You don't need to be paid to just be a good member of this family, but there should be a consequence if you choose not to be. If you neglect keeping your area of the home clean or doing your chore to the best of your ability. Um, you know, they just need to do it. So that's kind of you know, there may be other situations, but you know, as I'm sitting here thinking about this, those are some of the the things where uh, personally, I believe that punishments and negative consequences are appropriate. But we also have to praise the good that they do. And in my mind, a lot some of these negative consequences tend to create a space where kids behave in a way and it sets them up for success so that they can behave well so that we have something to praise. Um, There's a parenting class that my wife and I took that referred to this as watering flowers instead of weeds. So giving attention to the behaviors that you would like to see uh, continue and then either negatively incentivizing or if appropriate and possible, ignoring altogether the behaviors that you don't want. So if they get no attention from negative behaviors and they get really good attention from the behaviors you want, normally what you're going to see is more of the thing that gets attention, the thing that gets praised. So for example, in the chores example, let's say one of my kids, and this has happened probably more times than I care to count, but one of my kids um, knows what they're supposed to do. And instead of doing their chore at the time they're supposed to, they get distracted and go off and start playing. In our home, a consequence of that is they earn an extra chore. So that might be a negative consequence that they receive, but when they go take that correction and then they go do a good job, what I should do and probably what I don't do enough is I need to go then water that good behavior and praise and thank them for getting their work done and for doing a good job and then point out, wow, look at this room and look how good it feels to be in here when it's clean. Doesn't that feel more peaceful? We can find the things that we need, water the good, even though I did have to apply a punishment in order to get that behavior in the first place. So that's an example in how in our home we try to balance both of those. you know, in principle, that's how it should work. In practice, we're still a work in progress. the other thing that's worth noting is that um, finding that appropriate balance between negative and positive incentives it is key, but what that looks like will be different for each kid and from family to family. So, Best of luck to you figuring that out. It really is, in a lot of cases, just trial and error and doing our best to, <laughs> to figure it out. And a lot of prayer. Prayer is helpful. Heavenly Father can cut through a lot of the confusion with things like that. Now, as an aside, I want to talk a little bit um, about a pet peeve that is related. Um, discipline, as we're talking about it, is training and instruction. It is our responsibility to provide that training, instruction, and guidance to our children to help them progress into adulthood. But we need to stop as a society, and there are many of us that do this, making kids in charge of major life decisions that they are not capable of handling. So I want to talk, I'm going to give some examples and talk about this as it relates to allowing a child to choose where they're going to go to school because running a school. We've seen some examples of this and it's concerning, but you can apply this to anything, including the uh, the current trend to allow children to make decisions about when they're young about um, gender transition that could have major consequences later on down in life. So the most extreme example that we've come across with children choosing what school they get to go to is uh, toward the beginning of when we first opened the school. We had a mom come in and Uh, with her soon to be kindergartner and tour, look around the school and, and you could tell from what the, how the conversation went that she loved it. She loved everything that she heard. And as she was walking out the door, like, man, we got this, we got this in the bags, the adorable little kid's going to come be a part of our school family. And as the mom was walking out, she said, well, we're visiting a couple of other schools. And once we do, we'll let our daughter make the decision on where she's going to go. Um, so she was saying this as she's walking out the door, but this was also the first time we'd really been confronted with this idea. And it almost honestly left me a little bit speechless. A kindergartner, that, that's putting an awful lot on that poor little child. That, that's a huge decision that those parents were putting on her. And and that was a responsibility and uh, that they were negating themselves. They're the parents, but they were giving that decision to her. Um, there was another example of a young lady who um, wanted to go to public school. And you can think about that what you will. But uh, when I was talking with her mom, her mom mentioned that she had asked her daughter to pray about if that was something that she was supposed to do. And when asked if she had done that, the daughter kind of said, had, you know, was noncommittal and obviously hadn't um, taken the time to pray about that, but just this is what she wanted. And so that's what she was going to do. So um, I had the relationship with this mom that, you know, I, I told her, you know, that you've you've got to decide and you've got to be prayerful about this, but you have to wonder if she's not mature enough to be willing to pray about this, which means, in other words, she's not mature enough to be willing to consider any alternative. Right. Cause if 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 you're not willing to pray about something, it's probably because you know what the answer might be. Or you know what the answer could be at least, and you don't want to even open yourself up to that possibility. You won't even let yourself think that that could be a possibility. So for a child who doesn't have the emotional maturity to really be open to both options in order to make it a matter of prayer, then she's probably not ready to make that decision. Or other students who, you know, have wanted to make a similar decision on where they're going to go to school based on whether they get a locker or not, or whether they get to move classrooms from one period to the next. Um, if those are, if a child is weighing those kinds of things in their decision, then they're probably not ready to make this decision. And really, is that such a surprise? Is a five-year-old or even a 15-year-old equipped to take in all the information necessary to foresee the implications of their decisions, weigh all of the consequences, and then come to a good decision? Now, they might get lucky sometimes, and if they're willing to pray about it, God can kind of help them um, fill in their own shortcomings and their own lack of vision, but but children and even adolescents cannot possibly foresee the likely results of major decisions they make today, nor the impact that those decisions will have on a phase of life that they have no experience living because they're simply not adults yet. Yes, you have to give children experience making decisions. But within a realm that they're capable of doing, that they're emotionally and um that they're emotionally and mentally ready and capable of doing. So, you know, one of the earliest ones that we start seeing at our home is, you know, sometimes even as young as five when they want to start dressing themselves. Well, this is a decision that isn't going to impact the rest of their life if they pick an outfit that looks atrocious. Uh, So that ends up with some kind of goofy looking outfits sometimes. And at, at times, especially as you get to where you have more than two kids and you're playing zone defense now. We've showed up at church sometimes and turned around and looked at the youngest and be like, how did we let you out of the house and that? But you know what? Oh, well, she made the decision. Um, She may not, she probably in 10 years would not make the same decision. This is something that is going to resolve itself. And even if it doesn't, is this really going to have a life-altering impact? No. So we can let them make that decision. Um, You know, as they get older, maybe making decisions on um, different uh, choosing from among pre-approved extracurricular activities. And then you can progressively give them more uh, complex decisions as they get older and as they are ready for it. But ultimately, and kind of going back to this example of where your kids should go to school, even if you do give them that opportunity, to pray about it and try and get that decision for themselves. You as the parent, that does not absolve you of their responsibility to be praying about that as well. And if the child comes to the wrong conclusion based on the revelation that you receive, you still step in and do what's right for that child. Because if they didn't get the right answer, that was good experience for them to go through that process, but they're still not ready to make that decision. And yeah, well, what if God gives them a different answer? I got got a newsflash for you guys. God is God, and, and if we really believe that he's real, he's not going to tell them one thing and you something else. Um, we've seen this uh, in our own family and between my wife and I hundreds of times at this point where we pray about something, both going in with completely different notions of what we want to have happen, but both coming out with the exact same answer. And it's happened too many times to just be coincidence. So it, that's a real thing. And as the adult, you get to decide that you are the one who is responsible for making those decisions. So give them responsibility to do things that aren't life-altering, that isn't going to impact their safety when they're ready for it, but things like where you're going to go to school, deciding whether or not they're old enough to steady date, or whether they're emotionally mature enough to handle driving on a public road, a 3,000-pound death machine that could literally break their lives I'm sorry, for these big decisions, they need you to be the parent. They need you to provide that discipline for them because they're still people in training and they need you. That's why you're there. That's why they were put into a family with parents. Parents have got to be parents and stop expecting their kids to be fully formed adults when they're five or even 15 or 16 because they're not. Yes, these kids are amazing. Their growth is glorious and it's so much fun to watch. And you can see, even from a very early age, the incredible potential that they have and the great things that they're going to go do. But that potential can die on the vine if they're given meat when they need milk, when what they needed was a guiding hand from someone older and wiser who God put into their lives to guide, direct, and shape them. Now, I want to spend the rest of the time talking about how this home problem, this discipline at home problem is bleeding into society. Um, There's no accountability anywhere. Malefactors go free, at least if you're the right demographic and voted for the right party, which is resulting in just this incredible spike in crime and drug abuse and rampant homelessness. There's a, a widespread loss of freedom as a result for the perpetrators, the victims and people, especially in big cities, you know, people that would like to just be able to go to Walgreens and buy ibuprofen without having to go through multiple layers of security that would make a prison proud, That that isn't freedom for anybody, not even the, the perpetrators. You know, a good example of this kind of mentality is with the program No Child Left Behind. This was enacted in 2002 by President Bush. Um... And and kind of the background to this is, you know, there's, first of all, there's a high correlation of kids' academic success and whether they have a, a mom and a dad in a loving and stable home. But starting in the 60s with the sexual revolution, with rampant drug use, and with the unconstitutional codification of abortion at the federal level, all of these things came together and began to just erode and chip away at the family. Divorce rates have gone through the roof since then. Uh, Teen pregnancies spiked for a while, not so much because of birth control now, but there's still widespread um, teen sexual experimentation. Abortions, um, tens of millions of babies have been slaughtered on the altar of abortion. Families began falling apart at the seams. Uh, family, And when that happens, you get families that are just barely surviving, more and more of them single-parent homes that are not well-equipped to be able to help students simply because of lack of time. So school in many cases and for many families became just cheap child care where all educational responsibility was taken off of or the parents took it off of themselves and put it on the school. So, so you can kind of see where after 40 years of those those developments in our society, No Child Left Behind comes in. And yeah, it sounds nice. It's got a great title. And honestly, I think like most bad ideas, this one I'm sure was rooted in good intentions. This idea that we're not going to let any child fail, but in a society where family is eroding and where that family foundation that is necessary for academic excellence to thrive is simply not an option anymore because of what we've done as a society, then the only other option you're left with is to lower the standards and dumb down the expectations. So this becomes a self-perpetuating cycle that leads to lower and lower standards because we're not addressing the underlying sickness, which is uh, weakened, if not completely destroyed families and family life for a growing number of children and we see this as the the United States has slipped further and further behind in terms of educational ranking in the world. And it's become so bad that um, David Barton's a guy who runs wall builders and he he loves you know original documents from the founding era and subsequent generations from our country. And so he has over the past several years has taken this eighth grade graduation test to college campuses across the country to see, if our college students today can even pass it. And of course, he pulls out things that are anachronistic, things that don't really apply today anymore. Um, but across the board, our college students can't even pass these eighth grade graduation tests. I mean, we, our standards have fallen so far. It is it, terrifying and sad, really. And what we're seeing today in society when we don't hold people accountable for breaking the law is the no child left behind applied at a societal level. We tend to sink or rise to what's expected of us. And if we tell people they're too dumb to pass school or behave well in society, then guess what? That's what we're going to get. What we need is the rule of law, equal application of consequence for bad decisions, which is good for individuals, even the perpetrators who need that time to go reform themselves. And it's good for society and it's absolutely necessary for freedom. We need the punishment side. That is important, and it needs to be applied even-handedly. But what about the positive consequences? Well, when you do good and when you operate within the bounds of the law in civil society, you get to keep your freedom. You get to chart your own course. You get to live what used to be, anyways, the American dream. So let's wrap up this idea of discipline. Without God and the concept of eternal punishment or happiness individual self-discipline is not at all likely. And we've seen the effect of that over the past 60 years. If parents and if if us adults are not governing ourselves according to godly principles because God is dead to us, we've essentially killed him in the culture, then the next generation is not going to be trained up in those those same principles of self-governance. Now that's bad enough. But if we as parents are not disciplining and managing ourselves, then we're far more likely to become selfish, unfaithful, and destroy our own marriages which and our own families, which will just exacerbate the craters that we're, we're putting into the psyches of the rising generation. They're even less likely to become happy, well-adjusted, self-governing citizens. And, and what we get as a result of that is, is generational moral and character atrophy, where each succeeding generation becomes weaker, less controlled, more selfish, more prideful, and less happy than the generation that preceded it. And at some point, that society reaches the tipping point and collapses under the weight of its own emotional and moral obesity. Now, I'll let you be the judge on exactly how close to that tipping point we are, but please begin today to strengthen your relationship with God and to discipline yourself and discipline your children to become God-loving, freedom-loving, well-adjusted, happy citizens capable of perpetuating that change, not only to their children, but to those around you so that when others see what they're doing and they see their your children and your children's children thriving, they'll want to know what you're doing. And we can turn that cycle this downward death spiral that we're in the other direction generational change can spiral upwards which we saw for the first you know 100 or so years of this country's history or it can spiral downwards as we've seen since the 1960s if not sooner or if not earlier which way are you going personally though and if you're going the wrong way if i'm going the wrong way what am i going to do what are we going to do to reverse course don't wait until tomorrow to do something and stop lying to yourself and saying you can, that you can't do anything about it if that's something that you find yourself doing. God created all of us with the agency to act, and we have to use it to make positive change in ourselves personally and in our families. We can do this. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, Keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.